Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17 down through to 22. Our second passage that we're going to be looking at today is also in the book of Acts. Chapter 9, verses 1 through to 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Our second passage again is Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read down through to verse 18. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city that you will be told what you must do. And you will be told, rather, you will... I'll read that part again, verse 6. Get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him, to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
And Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. As I said before, it's week one of Vision Month. And um, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm sitting on a stool. I've shaved my head. I turned 40 this year. It's got all the hallmarks of a midlife crisis, right? Not only that, I'm in boat shoes and shorts for the first time ever at Follow. So you probably think Luke's going a little bit crazy. But if you're not thinking it's a midlife crisis, it's probably because you're really fixated on the stool. And you're thinking, you're freaking out. Why is he sitting on a stool? This is not how we do things at Follow. This is different. This is change. And as we said today already, we're commencing our vision series uh, throughout the month of February. And this year's theme is change. And I've got to say, it's a risky topic, talking about change. I've noticed in life, and certainly in ministry life, when it comes to change, there seems to be a spectrum that we all fit on. And, and over one end of the spectrum, you've got people who love change. You're the change embracers. You're like a green light, in, a green light in community. And when you hear the, the title of this series, Change, you're excited. You're thinking, yes, let's go. What new things can we try this year? How can we step forward? How can we grow? How can we move on? It's a wonderful thing. Let's get on with this. And you're really excited about a series like this one on change. But at the other end of the spectrum, there's other people that are a little bit more like a red light. And your default position is really to be a change avoider. Uh, you're thinking, you're a bit apprehensive about this series. You're thinking, why are we changing anything? I'm happy with things the way they are. I don't want to change it. It's comfortable and secure. And, and I don't know, you're a bit more like a break. There's accelerators over that end, and you're a little bit more like a break. And I want to say that in a church community, accelerators are really important. And brakes are also really important. If we're all accelerators, it's, it's kind of fun, but it's dangerous, right? If we're all brakes, we go nowhere. And so everyone plays part in a community. And I think it's really important at the start of this series to be self-aware enough to acknowledge that we all fit somewhere on this spectrum when it comes to our default position towards change. I hope that we're not just self-aware, but my prayer is that we will be open-minded and open-hearted enough to consider that maybe there's some things in 2019 that God wants us to change in individually and also as a church. And so change can be a very challenging topic. As much as some of us don't like change, I look around this room and I notice that most people get a regular haircut. I also notice that you're not wearing the same clothes every week when you come to church. And you also live in Melbourne where the weather changes every five minutes. And so at some level, all of us adapt to and embrace change in our lives. And I wonder this morning, is it the same when it comes to our faith? Are we willing to embrace change this year in our spiritual life? It's been said that change is as good as a holiday. And I think sometimes that's true. Change can be a wonderful thing. But I think more importantly for Christ followers, I really believe that change is discipleship. And change is necessary for growth. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all, everyone who's a Christian, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, and we're being transformed, changed in a radical way, 
into his image with, listen to this bit, ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. It's a constant process of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives to transform us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit works in our life and our response needs to be one of humility, one of self-assessment, one of willingness to embrace what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts as he changes us to become more and more like Jesus. This is a challenging journey, this journey of transformation, but it's also a wonderful journey to be on. And I want to say that change is not the enemy. In fact, change can be a friend. As your, part, as your pastor, I don't want to be the same person I am today this time next year. That deserves a few amens. You should be saying amen. We hope we don't have the same guy next year. Um, I want to be different this time next year. I want to grow to become more like Jesus than I am right now. I want to be more passionate. I want to be more compassionate. I want to be more obedient. I want to be wiser. I want to be more faithful and willing to trust God in all circumstances of life. I want to be more like Jesus in every single way. And I think every Christian person, really, would agree that this time next year, they'd like to be closer to Jesus than they are right now. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're really close to Jesus, you still want to be closer this time next year, this time next week. But I also believe it won't just happen. It's going to require humility, that willingness to say, Lord... What needs to change in my life this year to become more like you? Holy Spirit, what do you need to change in my heart? It's going to take some honest reflection time and openness to the work of the Spirit, the collective wisdom of a community such as this, such as this and a proactive step towards God, knowing that he promises when we draw close to God, as Claire just said a moment ago, he draws close to us. And when God draws close to us, we can't help but change. And so change is so important. When it comes to personal change, which we're talking about today, week one, it should be the prayer and the desire of every disciple's heart for the next 12 months and indeed for the rest of our lives. I want to encourage you as a congregation of God's people to embrace change. Now I realise for some of you that's like an oxymoron, having embrace and change in the same sentence. But I also believe as disciples of Jesus, they go hand in hand. We need to be people who are willing to embrace change. It's a vital part of the discipleship journey. And the question I'd like to ask all of us this morning is simply this. If we're not changing, we need to ask the question, are we really disciples? Change is our theme for 2019 and specifically for the next four weeks. But we're not talking about change for the sake of change. We're talking about change for growth. And that's the name of our series. And so I want to start and end today's message in the same way. And that's by asking a series of reflective questions for all of us to consider. So I wonder, first of all, was Jesus the most important focus in your life in 2018? This is not to nudge the person next to you or think about anyone else. This is an honest moment between you and God. Was Jesus the ultimate, the number one focus of your life last year? What needs to change for spiritual growth in your life in 2019? What do we need to change and grow in as a church to become more effective in our mission to share Jesus with our community? What will you personally be able to point to at the end of 2019 that shows that you are more like Christ than you are right now? 
Do you have goals for this year? And do they include spiritual goals? What habits this year do you need to start? What habits this year do you need to stop? Will 2019 be a year of going through the motions in your faith? Or will it be a year of growing as a disciple of Jesus? Because it can't be both. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray as we open up this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the work that you do in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you for the person of Jesus, that we can be people that you change by the work of your Holy Spirit. And this week, this year, as we consider the year to come, Lord, I pray that we would be open-hearted, that we'd be open-minded, and that we'd be willing to embrace whatever changes you want us to make in our lives and in our church. Lord, I thank you so much that we don't have to stay who we are now, but I thank you also that we aren't who we used to be. But Lord, I pray that you continue to shape us and help us to be the people you want us to be. Lord, I pray that there'd be a spirit of humility as we consider that this year. A willingness to seek you, to draw close to you. And as we do, Lord, we anticipate with great excitement the fact that this year you're going to change our lives in incredible ways. And so we bring this to you this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, I'm back in the pulpit while you had your eyes closed. I have a goal this year not to change things too quickly in 2019. So this is part of me fulfilling my goal. And I also don't want to freak out the change resistors. So this is for you. I'm back in the pulpit this morning. The title of today's message is A Case Study Between Chaos and Order. I want you to think again about our spectrum, where at one end we embrace change and at the other end we resist change. And I want us to replace those two terms with two other terms. They are the terms order and chaos. For people who uh, tend to avoid change, it's usually because you like a sense of order in your life. You like the predictability, you like the safety, the status quo, the security, the comfort of knowing what's going on. And so you're a person who tends to like a sense of order in what you do. But for people who spend most of their life at the other end of the spectrum, where they embrace change, they tend to be people who are more comfortable with some degree of chaos in their lives. And let's be honest, when we come to changing things, it can cause chaos. When we think, God, what do I need to change this week? That's a difficult question to ask. This year, how are you going to change me by your Holy Spirit? But that's not as painful as the process of actually changing. And so to embrace change, we need to be people that actually are willing to embrace some level of chaos in our lives. It's stepping into the unknown. It's trusting God if we can't see what the next step is. Jordan Peterson, in his book, 12 Rules for Life, says this. He says, order is not enough. You can't just be stable and secure and unchanging because there are still vital and important new things to be learned. Nonetheless, chaos can be too much. You can't long tolerate being swamped and overwhelmed beyond your capacity to cope while you are learning what you still need to know. Thus, you need to place one foot in what you already have mastered and understood and the other foot in what you are currently exploring and mastering. As you can see, that's not always comfortable. As Christians, we call this faith or discipleship. And discipleship costs. It's not always comfortable in our lives. Ever since I read this quote, it's really got me thinking about the whole idea of chaos and order. And I really think the whole narrative of Scripture is a story of chaos and order. 
If you turn to Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, you see that the world is in a state of chaos. The earth was formless, there was darkness and emptiness, and there in the chaos of an unformed world, the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. God's present even in the chaos. But in an instant, by his word, God spoke, and from the chaos came incredible order. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He created by the power of his word, day and night, the land and the sky, the plants and the trees, the moon, the sun, the stars, the sea creatures that swim in the, the deeps of the water, the land animals that walk on the land. And finally, he created the pinnacle of his creation. He created humanity in his own image. When he finished his creating, God looked at all he created and he said it was very good. On the seventh day, God rested from his creation and I imagine he took time to admire and enjoy the order of what he had created from chaos. The garden is a beautiful picture of what God designed for us to enjoy. Now the tragedy of scripture, of course, is that that beautiful place in the garden only lasted for two chapters. It wasn't long before mankind plunged from order back into chaos. One stall step for man, one giant step for mankind back into chaos. The moment Adam and Eve rebelled against God, sin entered his very good creation and chaos instantly impacted everything. started with shifting blame and hiding and lying and deceiving. Soon they were banished from the garden out of the presence of God. Soon came murder and strife in every way imaginable and paradise was lost. This is the consistent thread of the Old Testament, even amidst God's people. All the way up to Jesus, chaos reigned. Until God once again sent forth his word. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, stepped from the perfect order of heaven into the chaos of his own creation and through his perfect life and his sacrificial death, he took upon himself all of our sin, all of our shame and the chaos we had created and he stretched out his hands and he said, it's finished. He says, I am the way the truth and the life, and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is saved from the chaos and consequence of their sin and their lives are reordered so that they are once again in relationship with God the Father. They are a new creation in Christ. This is the glorious news of the gospel, that we can be a new creation. The chaos we've created, we can be saved from that sin and brought back into a place of godly order in our lives. However, I think we're all honest here this morning. And we understand in our Christian lives, post putting our faith in Christ, at times we still experience chaos in our lives in both a negative sense and also a positive sense. I've been reflecting on this idea over the last few weeks, the idea of chaos and order, and I've tried to explain it in the four boxes that you're going to see coming up on the screen in a moment. There are four quadrants and they represent the different experiences of order and chaos we can have in our lives. Here we go. We can experience godly order in our lives, and we'll explain this in a minute. We can experience ungodly order. We can certainly experience ungodly chaos, but we can also experience godly chaos. And so let's go through these one at a time. First of all, let's talk about godly order. Godly order is what I would define as discipleship. It's when we're in a relationship with Jesus. We're in his word, we're spending time in prayer, 
there's intimacy and trust and an ever-increasing and deeping, deepening faith. It's what I would call the sweet spot, where we feel that we are exactly where God wants us to be. We've found our calling, we've found our purpose in life, which we've found in Jesus. This is where I think you know, our world looks for joy and fulfillment in every other place, but I really believe this is where we find true joy and fulfillment, in this place of godly order. This is where God wants us to live our lives. It's a place of transformational change with ever-increasing glory becoming more and more like Jesus. And so the first place we can find ourselves is a place of godly order. However, the problem is this, that to live in that place, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. This is why it followed. We didn't formulate some fancy vision. We just simply said that our vision is Jesus. And when we focus on him, he becomes the priority of our lives. Our number one affection. Our number one joy. And he brings our lives into godly order to be the people he's created us to be, equipping us to follow him in our community for his glory. Is everyone awake this morning? I know it's hot. Are we awake? Not if you're awake. Awesome, that's good. And so God wants to bring us into this place of godly order. The problem is, is that we have a real enemy. Satan, the devil, the same one who fooled Adam and Eve in the garden. He is the great deceiver. He is the father of lies. And I want to tell you this morning, he is the master of distraction. He wants to tempt us and entice us to take our eyes and our affection off Jesus. I want you to do something for me this morning. Everyone in this room, I want you to pick one item in this room and I want you to focus your gaze on it. It might be me, it could be the pulpit, it could be a banner, it could be the watch on your wrist. But for a second, I want you just to look at that one item. Everyone got an item they're looking at? Excellent. Well, I want you to notice, and you already know this, it's no rev revolutionary thing, but I want you to notice that when you look at that one item and you focus, focus on it, it comes into clear focus. But I want you to notice that your eyes are trained, that everything outside of that one item has now become blurry. Right? You can see it there in the corner of your eye, but it's blurry. But the thing you're looking at is in focus. Now, I want you to shift your vision from the one thing you're looking at, and I want you to shift it just to the left or to the right and choose something else to focus on. Now, as you do that, you'll notice that the new thing you're looking at has now come into focus. Where is the previous thing now? It's now blurry. Right? This is the aim of the enemy. You see, discipleship is, is having Jesus as our vision, the clearest focus of our lives. Discipleship requires us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we do, as the hymn writer says, the things on earth become strangely dim, or they become blurs on the periphery of our lives. So the devil wants us to shift our focus from Jesus to other things in life. But when we shift our focus to other things in life, guess where Jesus is? He's in the blur on the periphery of our lives, and that's exactly where the devil wants him to be. Therefore, the journey of discipleship is the constant realignment of our vision to keep Jesus the focus. Let me say that again. The journey of discipleship is the constant realignment of our vision to make sure that Jesus is the focus. And so I wonder this morning, where's Jesus for you right now? Is he the clear focus of your life? Or is there a vision realignment that is required through the work of the Holy Spirit this morning? You see, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we leave the place of godly order in our lives. And there's a couple of places we tend to drift to. 
first place we drift to is a place of ungodly order, and you'll see this on the screen, where we order things around ourselves. They're no longer around Jesus because they're around us. In our faith, this is the place where we are comfortable. It's where we go through the motions of faith. Jesus is no longer the focus because other things in life have become more important. It could be our house. It could be our car, it could be our friendships, it could be our bank account, it could be our hobbies, it may even be our families. They have become more important than Jesus in our lives. He's been nudged off the throne of our lives and he's been replaced with things that God has provided for our enjoyment. They are good things. And yet they were never designed to be ultimate things. They were never designed to be the main focus of our lives. This is where we find ourselves in a place of ungodly order. We've shifted from godly order where we're in that place, we're in the centre of God's will, doing what he wants, and we've now shifted to a place of ungodly order, and that's what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. He becomes part of the periphery blur in our lives. The other place we can drift to is what I call ungodly chaos. Now this is part of the temporary reality of living in a fallen, broken world, where the consequences of sin are still seen in things like sickness and death. Within our own congregation, in the last couple of weeks, we've had people who have lost loved ones. And when a loved one becomes ill or passes away, we feel the chaos of sin in this broken world impact our lives beyond our control. But there are other times in life where the chaos we experience is actually self-inflicted by our own sin. As we stray from God, we plunge into ungodly chaos because when we sin, there are consequences of our sin that impact our lives and cause chaos within them. It's a result of our own decisions. At times we disobey God, rebel and sin against Him. We find ourselves in an ungodly chaos that is destructive in our lives and faith. And so what I want us to see is that both ungodly order and ungodly chaos occur in our lives when we take our eyes off Jesus. It's a big problem when we do that. We shift to one of these two places. But the fourth box in the quadrant is what I'm calling godly chaos. Godly chaos is stepping into the unknown, where God can call us to step, even from a place of order, into a place of godly chaos. I would use the word obedience. It's counting the cost of our faith. It's embracing God-fueled change within our character and our lives. It's learning to trust God in greater ways as we step out in faith. It's living by faith and not by sight. It reminds me of the story of Peter walking on the waves. You might remember the story. One night, the disciples are out in the boat and the waves are buffeting against the side of the boat. And they're out there in the middle of the lake and it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. They were terrified, and they thought Jesus was a ghost. But he said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now Peter, usually the first to speak, was of course the first to speak. And he says, if it is you, tell me to come out on the water. Jesus simply replied by saying, come. Now Peter faced a decision in that moment, to stay in a place of water, on the boat, where he was safe from drowning, where it wasn't wet, where he was going to be secure, or to leave the order of the boat and step out to the godly chaos at the invite of Jesus. Now we know the story, Peter stepped out, and let me tell you, it's scary to step out in faith, especially when you don't know what it's going to look like. It's a scary step to take into the unknown. 
But when Jesus invites you into a place of godly chaos, you know that he's going to be in it with you. He's right there in the wind and the waves of our lives. And so while Peter, the disciple, kept his eyes on Jesus, you'll notice that he walked on water. This is a miracle. He actually walked on the top of the water. But you'll also notice in the story that the moment he took his eyes off Jesus and he fixed his attention on the waves and the wind and the issues and the fear, he immediately sunk. Now, my favorite part of the story is when he sunk. It'd be funny to watch. But it's my favorite part of the story because in that moment, he cried out to Jesus, save me, and Jesus didn't say, you blew it, baby, you're on your own, you can drown. What did Jesus do? He stretched out his hand, he grabbed him by the arm, and he lifted him up above the waves. You see, when we step out in faith, we won't always get it right. It won't always be easy. It won't always turn out the way we expect. And we could easily be critical of Peter until we remind ourselves that he's the only one who stepped off the boat. When we step out in faith, we may sink, but we may also walk on water. I wonder if 2019 is a year for some of us to take steps of faith to trust God in greater ways, even if it means change. Jesus invites us into godly chaos and he promises us that in the midst of it, he walks the journey with us. Ray read two passages for us today from both Mark and Acts. And in those stories, we have a case study of chaos and order in the lives of two young men. That if you've been in church for any amount of time, you'll be familiar with their names. The first one, we don't even know his name. He's the rich, young ruler. What do we know about him? He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. The second young man is a man by the name of Saul, who we better know later on in his life as the Apostle Paul. Their stories are fascinating because both of them saw Jesus face to face. What an incredible thing that is, to see Jesus face to face. They were both faced with an opportunity to change or stay the same. They're at a T intersection in their life that would shape the rest of their lives. The choice they faced was one of discipleship. Will they follow Jesus or will they continue to go their own way? The rich young ruler met Jesus in Judea. He saw Jesus approaching and he ran to Jesus. He must have heard of him before. And he ran to Jesus and said he fell to his knees and he asked the most important question we can ever ask in life. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives an interesting answer. He says you need to keep the commandments. Now, as Christians, we don't believe that we're saved by what we do or don't do. We're not even saved by which commandments we keep and which commandments we break. We're saved by grace, by putting our faith in Jesus who died on the cross on our behalf to save us from our sin and bring us back into godly order. And so I wonder, why did Jesus give this response? Well, I think that Jesus knew that this young guy would take great pride in his law-keeping, and he does. He says immediately, I've kept all of those commandments since I was a child. Easy peasy, I'm going to inherit eternal life. I've been a good boy. But then Jesus looked at him, and it says in the text that he loved him. He looked at him, and he loved him. And in his love, he immediately diagnoses and addresses the real problem. He says, now all you need to do is sell everything you have, give to the poor, store up riches in heaven, and come follow me. It's a pretty big 
commands. It becomes clear that the problem wasn't that this young guy wasn't keeping the commandments. The problem was that he wouldn't count the cost of following Jesus. His life was in an ungodly order and he wasn't willing to enter the chaos of change. He was too comfortable. He was self-sufficient. His focus was on his wealth. He didn't want to lose control. He was a ruler. He was worried about what he would lose if things were to change in his life. He had too much in his mind to give up. There was an ungodly order in his life that kept him from following Jesus. And so the rich young ruler, he saw Jesus face to face. It says Jesus loved him, but for this young ruler, Jesus never became his vision. The other things in life, like his wealth, his status, his job, and his comfort, were his focus. And Jesus was on the periphery simply as part of the blur. Jesus challenges him to refocus his vision, and the tragedy of the story can be read in verse 22. It says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Saul is our second young man. Rich young ruler's life was one of ungodly order, but it doesn't take long. It becomes clear which quadrant Saul is in. Saul's life was one of ungodly chaos. He was angry, he was violent, and he was hell-bent on destroying the lives of as many Jesus followers as possible. In Acts chapter 7, we see the violent stoning death of a wonderful man called Stephen. And it says that Saul stood watching and giving his approval. Saul's heart was gripped by Satan in his life. He was in a state of ungodly chaos. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, Saul is once again on his way to persecute Christians and he meets the risen Jesus in an extraordinary encounter on the road to Damascus. It says that Jesus' light was so bright that it struck him blind and in this encounter, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now like the rich young ruler, Paul had a decision to make. Jesus was calling him from ungodly chaos to godly chaos that would eventually lead to godly order in his life. For Saul to follow Jesus, it would take a 180-degree turn. He would have to leave everything that he based his life on. Saul was a well-respected rabbi and teacher. He was prestigious in the Jewish world. People looked up to him. His friends and family would have loved and admired him. And to follow Jesus would cost him everything. His reputation, his status, his comfort, his family, and ultimately his life. As we read on, his conversion story has a very different ending to the rich young ruler. Instead of walking away sad, it says he got up and he was baptized. He chose to walk down the road of discipleship. Two men, two decisions to change, two opportunities to become a true disciple of Jesus. The rich young ruler considered the cost and wasn't willing to pay the price. He wouldn't leave the ungodly order of his life to become a disciple. Saul, on the other hand, considered the cost and was willing to pay the price. He was willing to leave the ungodly chaos to enter the godly chaos of the unknown, to ultimately bring his life back into a godly order of purpose and meaning. I want to finish this message today, but I want to finish it on the stool again. And I want to finish it on the stool again because we're talking about change. But I don't want to stand up here preaching at you. I want to sit down there reflecting with you on my own life. 
I pray that this will be a moment of self-reflection and honesty between you and God. I want this to be a moment where we all consider what changes we could make in 2019 to grow closer to Jesus. I'm going to put the quadrant back up on the screen. You can look at that. As we do this, Jared's going to come up and he's going to play some music for us. And as we finish this time of reflection, he's going to play an item in line with this message. So I'm going to take a stool down there. And I want us just to focus our attention on this quadrant as we close. Jared's going to play. It's a good chance to reflect. I'm going to ask a few questions before he starts to sing the song. And I think these questions are important for all of us to consider within each of these quadrants that we can find ourselves in. I wonder this morning, is our life in a place of godly order? If it is, praise God. If that's the quadrant you find yourself in, then the aim of 2019 is continuing to keep your eyes on Jesus, to keep growing in your relationship with him in ever-increasing ways, not getting comfortable or complacent, but to follow him wherever he leads. But perhaps we're not there. Maybe other things have crept into our lives, become too important, taking our focus and our vision off Jesus. Perhaps we aren't as passionate or committed in our faith as we once were. Maybe Jesus has been nudged off the throne in our lives. Maybe he is part of the periphery blur. Perhaps our life is in a place of ungodly order. As we reflect on the last 12 months, I wonder if there are any things in your life, in my life, that have crept in and taken more time, more affection, and more focus than they should. If Jesus was here right now and you stood before his throne, how much of what you're focusing on right now would be of eternal value? What would you wish you could change as you stood there with your life laid bare before the King of Kings? Is there a need for a visionary alignment this morning? Perhaps a reprioritization of time and schedule and spiritual disciplines? What needs to change for growth as a disciple this year? Perhaps our lives aren't there, but they're in a place of ungodly chaos. Maybe you are struggling with illness or lost a loved one, and today you just need to ask God for strength. Strength to keep going, to keep your eyes focused on Him. But maybe like Saul, anger or bitterness has taken root in our hearts. We're holding on to unforgiveness. Maybe there's habitual sin that's become an addiction in our lives. Maybe internet porn, it may be gossip or slander negativity, lust, or greed. And the good news is, if Jesus saves Saul, then there's hope for him to change us. God's there, even in the ungodly chaos of our lives, ready to transform our hearts. And so maybe this morning you need to cry out to him. Ask him for help, and he can save us from those things. He's a God who can break addiction. He's a God who can bring change. He's a God that can bring us back into godly order again. But maybe this year, you need to step into godly chaos. God's calling you from the comfort of your life into the realm of faith. You sense it, and you need his help to take steps of obedience. Maybe you're terrified like the disciples on the boat, but you hear his voice saying, come. It's time to step out. It's time to get serious about your faith. 
time to truly embrace discipleship in your heart. It's time to change. Wherever you're at, today's an opportunity at the start of a new year to realign your vision and ensure that Jesus is the focus. What will 2019 hold for us? Are we willing to change for growth? Because it won't just happen. So between us and God, let's make this a moment of change. Sharon sings this song this morning. You may want to close your eyes and focus on the words. Or you may want to humbly reflect, asking God to change you to be more like Jesus. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.